If you've got a Bible, turn me to John chapter 19. Uh, John chapter 19, we're continuing our series uh, entitled He Is, looking at uh, this Jesus, this King Jesus. We've been journeying through this book, and we're getting close to uh, the end. We've got a couple more weeks uh, in uh, this book, and then we'll move on to a, a new series. And so, man, I've enjoyed walking through this gospel, uh, looking at uh, the person uh, of Jesus, who he really uh, is. Um, you know, a lot of folks have differing thoughts and opinions on Jesus. We know, based on what we've read and seen, that he is indeed the Savior of the world. He is uh, King uh, Jesus. And so John chapter 19 uh, is where we're going to be. Uh, before we dive into the text, uh, there is a, an organization, I don't know if you're aware of it, uh, it is called the Innocence Project. Uh, the Innocence Project. And uh, the goal of the organization essentially is to help serve those uh, who have been falsely accused uh, of crimes and have been falsely uh, in prison uh, of Crimes. The purpose is for them to use DNA and other pieces of evidence to help uh, exonerate uh, these uh, falsely accused folks who are sitting in prison, right, uh, because of uh, a false conviction. Uh, and for the most part, man, it's been very successful. They've, they've seen folks that have served 20 plus years, right, uh, of a life sentence for being falsely accused of a heinous crime uh, and them uh, be freed. Uh, right. The purpose of uh, uh, this organization, like I mentioned, man, is to try and get those folks uh, free at the end of the day. Well, in John 19, we're getting ready to see one who, too, uh, was falsely accused uh, of a crime, uh, who, too, uh, was uh, falsely right uh, uh, sentenced uh, to death. Uh, but, hey, instead of choosing exoneration, Brother Dwayne, right, he chose to be executed. He chose to be executed. And by the way, let me go ahead and say it. This is Jesus that we're talking about here. Uh, he wasn't a victim right of what was going on. Bible says in John 10, 18 that he willingly laid his life down. No one took it from him. He laid his life down. Laid his life down. Instead of, right, to making the decision, since he was a God in the flesh, he could have done it. Instead of choosing to exonerate himself from these crimes that were being brought upon him, right, uh, these accusations. Man, he chose execution for you and for me. And so with that being said, John chapter 19, uh, really the, the story, the crucifixion story, uh, number one, if you've been in church a while, it is uh, one that is familiar to you. Uh, but it really starts at the beginning of uh, uh, the chapter. And just so in summation, right, uh, Jesus uh, was being delivered to Pilate, a uh, Roman governor, uh, to essentially be executed. Pilate said, hey, man, I think this dude's innocent. Man, I, I don't have any, there's no, I don't see any guilt within him. But the Jewish religious leader said, hey, no, no, crucify him, crucify him. And so, man, Pilate ended up leading uh, Jesus to uh, be crucified. But what's interesting is in, in verse 14, right, speaking to uh, the beauty of uh, the scriptures, but also the beauty of how God was orchestrating all this together. Verse 14, it says, right, at that time, right, was, I'll go ahead and read it real quick. It's not on the screen, but it says this. Now, it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. In Jewish culture, what was taking place at that moment were thousands of lambs being slaughtered in the temple at that moment. Jesus was going to the cross, 
right literally at the moment where thousands of lambs were being slain. What's that got to do with this, Pastor? It means this. While thousands of lambs were getting slain in the temple, right, the the Lamb of God ultimately was slain, right, to to, uh, take away the sins of the world. What a beautiful picture. And then we find ourselves here in verse 17, the actual uh, crucifixion. So we're going to read verses 17 through 30. If you're there, let me know that you're there by saying there. This is what the word of uh, the Lord says. So they, the Roman guards, took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather write this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one, play, in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it uh, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished to telestai in the original language. And he bowed his head and gave up. His spirit. Why don't we pray one more time together? Lord God, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us, Lord, and and how that love was demonstrated, God, in this story of your son willingly laying his life down. Lord, instead of choosing to, God, to be exonerated from crime, from uh, the uh, accusation of of, uh, that he received, Lord, he chose execution. God, I pray this morning, God, whether we've been saved two months or God, 20 plus years, I pray, Lord, that God, you'd remind us of your love, your grace that was shown 
God, I pray that the message of the cross, Lord, would, would never grow too old or too tired in our hearts, Lord. And God, I pray, Lord, now because of what you did on Calvary's cross, Lord, that we would choose to declare you, God, King Jesus, Lord, King over our life and King over our heart. And our life would be a reflection of that at the end of the day. God, continue to meet with us today. We love you. We thank you. And we ask these things all in your gracious and heavenly name. Amen. 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 The crucifixion story, as I mentioned, right, if you've been in church uh, for any length of time, you've heard it before. It is uh, one that uh, uh, obviously, you know, is part of the crux of our faith. Uh, You know, I'll go ahead and mention, spoiler alert, man, uh, the Gospel of John doesn't end in chapter 19. Uh, Jesus is, is not still in a tomb, buried. He's alive and well, right? We'll see, we see that in John chapter 20. But he had to go to the cross. It, it's so interesting that the story of uh, the crucifixion, man, there's so many uh, details that you can pull out from it. Uh, you can pull out uh, Jesus' famous seven sayings, which some of them are highlighted here in John 19, but you've got to look at some of the other Gospels to see. Right. And for me, you know, in study, one of the things that that stuck out to me is as Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying this agonizing death, his focus is on other people. We see him, you know, focus on, uh, you know, uh, John and his mother. Uh, You see that that part there in the text. We see him uh, choose to willingly forgive the same soldiers that put him to death, which is incredible. The, The soldiers that mocked him, that beat him, spit on him. He chose to willingly forgive them, right? You see that in some of the other Gospels. You see that, man, even while he's hanging on the cross, his life is not about himself. Man, it's about others. And we see those that are at the cross. We'll talk more about that in a second. Here. It's interesting, all the different parts within, man, the resurrection story that you could pull out. But this morning, I just want to really focus on three takeaways, man, that we can draw from John chapter 19 pertaining to the crucifixion story, man, that, that I believe uh, will speak to us, that we need to know uh, and understand. Three takeaways from uh, the story of uh, the crucifixion. By the way, I entitled the message, uh, based on the song we just sang, uh, All Hail King Jesus, because, uh, man, hey, he, he's our king. He's our king. Uh, but we see three takeaways here uh, in the text, man. The first takeaway I want to highlight is this. King Jesus' death on the cross was for all mankind. Hallelujah. Hey, King Jesus' death on the cross was was for all mankind. Go back to the text here. If if you're not careful, you can miss out on it, right? In the midst of uh, Jesus uh, dying, right, look at uh, uh, what verse 19 says. Pilate, man, he wrote this inscription to put up on the cross, says he wrote inscription, put on the cross and read Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many Jews read it, right, and saw it, for it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. Interesting. Right, the inscription there is written in three different languages, which is significant. Greek is, is the language of, was the language of education. 
right, of philosophy at that time. Latin was the language of Rome, uh, of the law of that day. Aramaic was the language of religion. Men of the Jewish folks that were there. So here's what happened, Brother Cliff. Pilate, interestingly enough, man, ended up writing right to uh, uh, one of those, the first ever, I would say, gospel track. And declaring to the world that, hey, this is Jesus, who he said he was. John, throughout all of his gospel, right, it speaks to, it's replete with this reality that the gospel, the message of the gospel is for everybody. And what is being communicated here is this, that this Jesus who's hanging on the cross, he's the king of the Jews, man, and he is dying for all mankind. Hey, he he died right for, man, that, that person in that in that remote village in Chennai, India. Right? He died for, man, that person, man, that lives across the tracks here in Clarksville, Tennessee. He died, man, for that, that person, man, that is up and out, living in the suburbs, man, of, of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. He died for that person that's down and out. Right? That's living far off. Man, he died. His death was for all mankind. Hey, even you. Even you. Man, he died for you. Died for you. Man, the one who feels too far gone, man. One who thinks they've got it all together. Listen, man, he died for you. And the response is to choose, man, hey, to receive this gift. His death was a gift, by the way. Receive it. Man, as that old hymn we used to sing, Brother Cameron in church. Hey, though millions have come, there's still room for one. Man, there is room at the cross for you, man. If you hadn't received, man, this gift of salvation, man, choose to trust in him. Man, what is being highlighted here is that Jesus died for all. Died for all. Man, how? How is his death, man? How, how is it? made possible, man, for, for it to be for uh, all folks. Well, the first sub point here is that I've got is this. Hey, you, you've got to understand that Jesus' death on the cross, it satisfied the wrath of God. Satisfied the wrath of God. In order to see that here in the text, you've got to go all the way down to verse 30 when Jesus said his last uh, of his seven famous sayings, it is finished, right? He says, to telestai. Right. That word in uh, the Greek. Right. It had really four main meanings during uh, the time. Right. So I want to read a couple of them for you. Right. So the first meaning for it being used uh, was uh, this. It was used when a priest would examine an animal sacrifice and find it faultless. We know that Jesus, right, was the perfect spotless lamb man who was sacrificed for us. It was also used when an artist completed a picture or a writer completed a manuscript. He or she may say it is finished. We know Jesus' death on the cross, right, completed essentially the picture, right, that God had been painting since the beginning. Within the Old Testament, bringing the Old Testament man together there. It was also used, right, to, uh, to speak to, uh, um, well, the third and final one, I should say. Right. It was used whenever somebody made a payment. Uh, right. And for their debt, and it was highlighted, man, that the debt has been paid in full, perhaps the most meaningful use of it. Jesus's death on the cross, man, paid the debt that we owe, man, once and for all. It is finished. It's finished. His death satisfied the wrath of God. 
Jesus was the only one that could do it, by the way. Hey, by the way, that's why other religions, man, don't work. That's why Jesus is the only way to heaven. He was the only one that was able to satisfy, man, the wrath that was due us because of our sin. Man, him going to the cross, man, the debt was paid in full. Look at some of these verses here that we see. Romans 3, verse 23 through 25. Look what it says. Paul says like this. Hey, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Man, our sin, we fall short and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. That's a three dollar word to simply say wrath absorber, wrath absorber by his blood to be received by faith. And first John 2, 2 says this. He talking about Christ is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus' death on the cross satisfied the wrath of God. Listen, hey, it doesn't matter how many times you went to church before coming to faith. It doesn't matter how good of a person you were before coming to faith. Hey, wrath was due to you, due to me. Man, but Jesus man, paid that debt on the cross. And when we received him, man, hey, man, we were forgiven. Of our sin. And we see that Jesus' death on the cross satisfied the wrath of God. But secondly, we see here that Jesus' death on the cross, hey, it showcased his, the love of God. Jesus' death on the cross showcased the love of God. Think about that for a second, man. God's love on display. Man, Jesus, man, he loved us so much that he took our place by going to the cross. Listen, I, you know, I, growing up, I'll put it boxed up to you like this. Growing up, you know, I had a, a parents that truly believed in what the old proverb says, right? Uh, uh, spare the rod, spoil the child. I got a lot of whoopings, right? They, they were folks that believed in, uh, you know, to them it was the gospel according to Sam and Hawawaswa, my parents. But they believed this, hey, that old saying, man, a hard head makes for a soft behind. Not only did I have a hard head, I had a big head back then. And so, man, I got a lot of whippings, a lot of whippings. Now, I had two little sisters, man. We were, you know, five and ten years apart. So they were really young when I was there in the house. And I know that they love me. I love them. But but here is the truth. I didn't love them enough to when if they got in trouble and they were going to get a whooping, that I willingly stepped in and took a whooping for them. I'll just go ahead and tell you that right now. I loved them, but I didn't love them that much. And by the way, they didn't love me that much to take a whooping like that. But the sinless Savior, man, King Jesus, man, he loved you that much. Man, to step in your place and die for you, man. That, that's, that's overwhelming, man, to me. The fact that he chose to take our place, man. What love? Romans 5, 6 through 8 says it like this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died. For the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then first John four, nine through ten in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Man, King Jesus' death on the cross was for all folks. Man, hey, if you're saved in here, you've received that gift, man, that ought to stir your affections for him more deeply. Man, this remembrance that, hey, at one point in time you were far off from him, but you were brought near by the blood of the cross. Man, if you're lost. Man, let me encourage you. Hey, choose to receive this gift. It was for you. For you. He died for you. Let's keep going. Honestly, man, I got a little worked up at that point. I need to go ahead and speed up here. Um, Second point that we see here in the text, right? Second takeaway uh, is this. Not only is Jesus, King Jesus' death on the cross for all people, we see this, that King Jesus' death on the cross fulfilled prophecies in Scripture. Uh, We see it highlighted here in uh, the story, right? Two specific messianic prophecies that uh, were fulfilled in the crucifixion story. Throughout Jesus' life and ministry, there were over 300 Old Testament prophecies that he fulfilled. And that's of utmost importance, right? We we see Psalm 22, 18, the first prophecy, right? They divided uh, my garments among them uh, and for my clothing they cast lots. And then the second prophecy was in Psalm 69, 21. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. Right? Jesus' fulfilling of these prophecies are important for for two main reasons, right? The first reason is this. Uh, Him fulfilling these prophecies in Scripture, right, it it proves that uh, Scriptures can be trusted. Hey, every promise that we see, man, in the Word, we can uh, hold fast to. Because, man, hey, it's, it's going to come to pass. Uh, every prophecy, right, that, that we see in the Old Testament pertaining to Christ, pertaining to what's to come, hey, it, it is going to come to pass. And so we can hold fast to uh, the Scriptures and trust in them, trust in the reliability of the Word. And, hey, by the way, because we can trust in His Word, the response for us is to choose to treasure His Word. Not just glance at it every now and again, but, hey, choose to treasure Hey, choose to hide it in our hearts so we may not sin against him. Psalm 119.11. Man, choose to yearn for it, desire it as a deer pants for the water, as Psalm 42 says. Man, we can, it proves that the scriptures can be trusted, but also it proves, hey, that our God is sovereign. Sovereign. It's interesting, man, Brother Christian, these soldiers, right, they're, they're mocking Jesus, right? They're spitting at him, man. Hey, they're saying, hey, you know, who can save you now, right? They're, they're trying to flex their proverbial uh, Roman muscles, if you will. And even as he's hanging on the cross dying, they're dividing up his garments, you know, and thinking, hey, this is what we're going to do. But, but all the meantime, what they don't understand is that, hey, they are just, man, puppets in God's ultimate plan. Here's the reality. The, hey, the, God is showcasing the fact that he's truly in control. Like I said, Jesus wasn't any, some kind of victim here. It wasn't like Jesus was hanging out there, oh, you know, uh, uh, woe is me, right? Uh, it wasn't just like him saying, saying, oh, there's nothing I could do. Man, there was plenty he could do. He willingly did what he did because it was all a part of God's plan. Ephesians 1, 3 tells us, man, planned from, hey, the fr- beginning of the foundation of the world. It shows that God is in control. And our God's in control. He's in control, man. The Roman soldiers prided themselves on trying to show how powerful they were. But at the end of the day, right, God, man, show that, hey, I'm in control. I'm in charge here. 
And that ought to be an encouragement to us, man, that our God is in control. Acts 17, 26 tells us that, man, it's by it's in him that we live and move and have our being. Colossians 1, 17 tells us, man, that, man, he holds everything together. Hebrews 1, 3, man, says that similar thing. Holds all things together by the word of his power. And it proves that our God is sovereign. Because he's sovereign, man, he's faithful. And because he's faithful, we can trust in him. Trust in him. Man, we see, right, that the death of King Jesus, man, it fulfilled, man, many prophecies in the scripture. And that's important. It's important. Trust in his word. Treasure his word. Man, and trust in the sovereignty of God. Know that he's in control, man. He's working in your life. And then thirdly and lastly, and I'm finished here, we see here in this crucifixion story, excuse me, that the call to follow King Jesus, man, is a call to unwavering commitment. It's a call to unwavering commitment. You see here at the text, in the text, verse 25, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And we know John, the beloved disciple, was in that crowd as well. Several chapters earlier, man, hey, Jesus, man, was feeding a whole bunch of people. There were thousands of people that were following him. Fast forward, man, whenever Jesus preached the hard truth, man, folks left. But there were still, man, a lot of the disciples that were there. But none of them can be found at this point. But John, the beloved disciple, and four ladies, man, hey, who were committed, man, to following him, even to his death. Man, it's the same truth, right, a... But a lack of commitment could be said in today's time, right? Uh, man, it's easy following Jesus, man, when the blessings are coming. Hey, easy to follow Jesus, man, whenever everybody's doing it. But hey, when times are tough, man, what's your response going to be? Man, my hope and prayer is because, hey, we, we know the other side. The, the five that are here at the cross, they don't fully understand and grasp. Perhaps they're catching glimpses at that moment when they're seeing them, seeing them up there on the cross. But they don't fully understand it. For us in here, man, being on the other side of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Hey, because, man, we've received Jesus as king. Because, man, we know him as Lord and Savior, man, our response ought to be to choose to have unwavering commitment. Man, I hope, my hope and prayer is that we would have faith, man, like Mary, Jesus' mother. Hey, that was with Hey, that was with Jesus from the womb to the tomb to the upper room in Acts. Hey, was with Jesus, man, the whole time until he ascended into heaven. My hope and prayer is that, hey, we would be committed to Jesus, man, like these folks that were near to the cross, man, in every season of life. Hey, that, that's the call. Not saying we're going to live perfect. Not, hey, not saying there's going to be times where we stumble. Not say, hey, I'm not saying there's going to be times when, when we're not mad at God, asking what's going on in our life. But, hey, in the midst of that, man, I hope and pray that you choose to draw near to him and choose to showcase unwavering commitment. Unwavering commitment. Philippians 3, 13 and 14, this is what Paul says. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on 
toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Church, aren't you thankful for the cross? For the cross that washed us clean. His blood and shed for me. We see the rest of the story in chapter 19 there. Jesus ends up being buried in a borrowed tomb. A man named Joseph Arimathea. It was his tomb that he borrowed. The reason why he borrowed, he wasn't going to stay there long. John 20 tells us that on the third day, man, he rose from the grave and he's alive and well today. When he rose, man, he defeated the power of sin, death, hell, and the grave. And he's alive and well today. And so our focus and aim, man, ought to be to look to live lives that please him as a result of his finished work.